You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire. Huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. ChumbaCasino.com has over 100 casino style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hi, everyone. I am Martina Cunha, and you're listening to Backstage Talk. Welcome back to another episode. Our guest today is Amanda Flynn. She is all things voice. Originally from Texas, she moved to New York City to pursue a career in musical theater as a performer. She performed in the first national tour of Susan Stroman and Trevor Nunn's Oklahoma, then went to the Mamma Mia company in Las Vegas, and then she landed the understudy role of Glinda in the Los Angeles production of Wicked. How cool is that? She then took a pivot and embarked on a new journey, like a whole new journey learning about voice health. Since then, Amanda helps singers sing in a healthy, efficient, and marketable way. She has a Master of Music in Vocal Performance with a mu Musical Theater Concentration and an Advanced Certificate in Vocal Pedagogy from NYU, and other several, many, certificates. She has worked with Broadway's The Lightning Thief, The Percy Jackson Musical, and The Be More Chills Company as their vocal coach. Amanda, it is an honor. Welcome to Backstage Talk. Thank you so much for having me. It is an honor to be here. Thank you, thank you. First thing I want to ask you, because I've, I've just read a little bit about your background, is in that pivotal moment when you decided to stop performing and went to vocal health. What happened there? Why did you take, take that, that jump? Yeah, you know, I, I had some, some troubles and some struggles with my voice when I was performing professionally. And, um, and it was, it was tough, you know, it was, um, it was a hard thing because I, was met with a lot of um, resistance and a lot of um, pushback. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, it was really hard. It was really, it's really hard as a performer when you run into something as like sensitive as struggling with your voice and, you know, being sort of blamed for it 
and being told that it was my fault and that the reason I was having troubles was because I just didn't have good technique. Um, you know, there's a lot of shame and there's a, there's a big stigma around having a problem with your voice in the musical theater industry. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, it was really frustrating for me. Um, and it was really, it was really like heartbreaking and sad, honestly, you know, I had, I'd spent my entire life wanting to do this thing yeah. and here I was doing it and I was struggling. And instead of being met with resources and being met with an opportunity to figure it out, I was sort of being, you know, pushed in the corner and mm-hmm. being told that it was my fault. And that I, if I, if I was better, I wouldn't be having these, these troubles. And so that was really hard for me. And on my, my sort of, you know, recovery path of figuring out what was going on, getting on the right medication, changing up some other medications, you know, figuring out my, my singing and, and whatnot, mm-hmm. it, you know, I realized that this was a huge um, issue in our industry and a huge hole in our industry. Um, you know, we uh, we provide physical therapy um, many times a week to performers because we know that if we provide them with physical therapy, they don't get hurt as much. Um, yeah. And uh, there was nothing in place for voices. Um, it was sort of a, if you, if you're good, you'll be fine. And if you're not a good singer, you're going to run into, you might run into problems, but then that just means you don't know what you're doing. And I thought, mm-hmm. this is really wrong. You're asking us to do really, really over the top things vocally and mm-hmm. not providing us with any resources. And so when people do run into problems, which is very, very frequent, um, they're often made to feel as though it's their, you know it's their fault or their own, their problem. They better fix it and deal with it themselves. So, so I started learning a lot about the voice. I started kind of dabbling in teaching. Um, I was still performing at that time. Um, but, um, decided to go to grad school. You know, I sort of hit a place in my career where I was getting older. I was into my late twenties and, um, was just in this very transitional place in my performing career. And I thought I'm going to go to grad school because I really do want to teach. I want to learn more about the voice. So I did that. And then kind of post grad school, never looked back. I just started teaching. And then here I am. I I like to say that I'm accidentally retired. (laughs) I love it. I love it. But you know, I made it my mission to really learn as much as I could about the voice, particularly in regards to vocal health and vocal injury so that I could help keep performers from having to deal with what I dealt with, Mm -hmm. um, as well as help performers through be that support and that resource for them as they navigated that murky territory of some sort of vocal issue because it's, it's, um, it's terrifying. And so, um, yeah, I've really committed to, to doing that in addition to really committing to trying to change the industry's pers- uh, perspective on vocal health, vocal injury, um, and really kind of get them to, um, get the industry as a whole to sort of understand it better. Um, yeah. I love it. I love it. And I do think you're changing the industry's perspective and you've been doing it since um you were out of grad school um well thank you i appreciate that (laughs) how did you end up because i know that as a performer you already were working on broadway shows but how did you end up working as the vocal coach on broadway or with broadway performers 
Yeah. Um, you know, I started working with Broadway performers before I formally worked on a show, um, you know, just in my private studio, mm-hmm. um, you know, working with aspiring Broadway performers, people on Broadway, people that, you know, are in the industry, but don't really care about Broadway, you know, which is lots of people that, you know, everyone <laughs> has a different journey and an idea of what their career is going to be. But um started working with, you know, musical theater professionals, some recording artists, things of that nature. Um, so I did that, you know, and I, and I still do that um, before I ever officially worked on a show. But I, um, the, the first, my first um, sort of gig as being like a sort of production or resident sort of vocal coach was actually working for Theater Works, um, which is a children's theater organization. Um, and I um, started working for them and I was sort of their, you know, vocal coach or vocal consultant for their tours. And so mm-hmm. I would meet with meet with the performers before they'd go on the road. I'd get them all set up with, you know, what they needed vocally, um, would help them kind of figure out, you know, how to, how to, you know, sing and perform their shows successfully. Um, and so that was really my first experience doing it in, in that capacity where I was sort of overseeing a couple of shows um, as sort of the, the vocal consultant. And so, um, you know, Be More Chill came my way. And I always, always like to say that, that I ended up working on that show officially on Broadway because of the kindness of people around me. Um, people, um, you know, believed in me and champion were champions of my work and, um, and that is how it happened. Um, you know, what I'll say is that I spent many years studying and training and learning and working um, to be ready when that opportunity came. And, and so, you know, I was, you know, I, I wanted to work on a Broadway show for so long, but I'm so grateful that I didn't until 2019 um, because I just wouldn't have been ready. Um, mm-hmm. You know, I thought I was, but I really wasn't. Um, but by the time the opportunity came around in 2019, it was truly because, um, you know, I had friends and clients in the show, namely Lauren Marcus and George Salazar. And uh, I mean, more, I have more friends than that. I'm friends with lots of them, but these are the two people that really, really championed for me to be involved in the show in an official capacity. You know, they pushed the producers on it. Um, they asked for it um, and the producer said, okay. And they brought me on and, and I did that. And then um, same thing with Lightning Thief. Again, the kindness of the people around me, people saying, you know, I believe in what you do. And and I had done a little bit of work for the off-Broadway Lightning Thief, um, um, you know, had, had gone in and done like, you know, a day or two of like, you know, working on screaming and monster sounds and all of those sort of extreme vocalisms and helping the cast be ready for that. And um, they all thought that was useful. And so when Broadway was rolling around, they all said, we want you to work on the show again. And again, it was the actors going to the producers and saying, this is something that we want. And the producers listened. Um, So yeah, the kindness, kindness of people around me, you know, surrounding myself with people who, um, who believe in you. Yeah. Who believe in you and and champion you. And um, you know, it's, it's your community building your community of people um, will never, will never disappoint. Yeah. I agree on that. Um, I want to dive a little bit into these two Broadway shows. Mm-hmm. What are your best memories of Be More Chill? Um, well, Be More Chill was was really like um, 
like having a play date with my friends. <laughs> um, and I mean, that in like the best way, like you just would walk into the theater and it was like walking into like your birthday party. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. Where it's like all your friends are there. Yeah. Um, that was, that was be more chill because I, um, you know, I'm really close with so many members of the cast, members of the creative team. Um, and so it was just sort of like getting to like go to work and hang out with all of my friends, which is not something you get to say often. Yeah. Um, and so, so that, you know, that's not really a specific memory, but it really is, you know, I mean, Joe Iconis and Lauren Marcus sang in my wedding Right. So like, you know, just the dearest of friends, um, you know, obviously Rob and Joe Trace wrote, you know, my husband, Rob and Joe Trace wrote The Lightning Thief and mm -hmm. Stephen Brackett directed both shows. And so it's like, you know, it's just these are people that, you know, I have spent so much time with, you know, George Salazar and Jen Tepper and Gerard Canonico. I mean, these are people that I've known for so long. Um, and so getting to just come walk into the theater and like hang out with them was like uh, just a dream you know it's like doing a play with your best friends <laughs> i love it i love that type of of, of work i mean yeah exactly work yeah unquote. yeah work yeah. quote unquote work <laughs> exactly <laughs> and how was the journey with these performers because i mean they are incredibly talented like i mean i'm 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 obsessed with the lightning thief still i <laughs> didn't get the chance to see it on Broadway, but... Oh, uh, I'm so sorry. Yeah, yeah, that sucks, but such is life. Such is life. <laughs> um, but I've I've been following, and I love the cast recording, and I mean, they are so incredible performers, and their vocals are just top-notch in the business. And, I mean, on both shows... Uh, songs like Michael in the Bathroom or um, Good Kid or Son of Poseidon, I'm, I'm like, you need to really train yourself to sing that those songs. Um, so how was the, this this journey with the performers when you got into yeah. into the productions? You know what was um, what was really kind of unique about both of these shows and and interesting that um, it was kind of this way with both of them is that. By the time the shows got to Broadway, right, and I was involved um, at that step, at that stage of the game, the performers had all been doing the show, right? So like in Be More Chill, every, they had just closed off Broadway, mm -hmm. you know, two, two or three months before they started rehearsals for Broadway. They had just done off Broadway. Most of those same actors had done the show at Two Rivers. Couple, couple years earlier. You know, with Lightning Thief, they had been on tour. Mm -hmm. Most of those actors had also done it off Broadway and then they were a bit on tour and then they just kind of went right onto Broadway. So everybody was coming into the Broadway run really knowing their shows well, right? Knowing their show vocally, knowing, um, knowing you know, they, they had the stamina to do it. They, um, you know, had really figured it out. So it was interesting and really kind of fun to jump in at that stage of the game versus being involved at the very beginning of a project when, mm -hmm. when the singers, they don't know, they don't know what their show is going to feel like yet. They haven't figured it out. Um, you know, they haven't figured out how am I going to sing Michael in the bathroom? I don't really know yet. Right. George had sung it like 350 times or something before we ever got to Broadway. Right. Mm -hmm. So like he knew it. So my, my, 
my job really became about the sustainability of eight shows a week for an open-ended run for a long run, um, particularly would be more chill because it was an open-ended run. And so mm -hmm. it was less about let's figure out how to sing Michael in the bathroom and more about what's the most sustainable, efficient version of Michael in the bathroom that you can do eight times a week from now until who knows, mm -hmm. right? Um, because, you know, when they did it off Broadway, it was a short run. It was... Yeah four to six weeks. I don't remember how, how long it was, but you sort of know there's an end date. And so it's, it's just a different, it's a different race you're running when you know there's an end date and you know, you can kind of push through, but when there's not a clear end date, you know, you have to, you have to figure out how to navigate that. And so that kind of became the work with Be More Chill was helping people, um, figure out how to navigate it so that they could make it through the, through the run and feel really successful. Um, and the same thing, the same thing with lightning thief, it was a limited run. So we knew we had an end date. We knew we were closing in January, 2020. Um, but, um, because it was sort of a holiday show, meaning it ran from like September, to January. So it just yeah. hit all the holidays, right? There were some pretty intense weeks. So there were some um, eight, nine, 10 show weeks. There were a lot, there were weeks that were like multiple two show days in a row. Um, and so it was a grueling schedule. Um, and so that was, that was the thing to navigate there was being there as a resource to help people, you know, again, have the most efficient show that they mm -hmm. could so that people can make it through those schedules because we ask musical theater performers to do utterly insane things. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> and, and just help people get through that run because that it was, it was a very grueling schedule. Yeah. And so. I yeah, I mean, musical theater performers, we really do very insane things with our voices and our bodies. And that at some point, yes. it takes a toll. It does. I mean, and particularly with with Lightning Thief, um, well, actually with both shows, again, there's a lot of similarities between them. And something else they had in common was they didn't, neither show had an ensemble, which meant that that, you know, you had... People, you know, you had a couple of actors who only played their role, but mm -hmm. everybody else in the show played multiple roles, right? And so you had the rest of the cast acting as the ensemble in a lot of numbers, which just makes people very busy. <laughs> you know, they are constantly changing clothes and going back on stage and doing something different and then changing clothes again. And it's just, it makes for a really physically exhausting show because you're, you're the ensemble mm -hmm. in addition to playing you know, multiple roles, et cetera. So both of the shows did have that in common. And then, you know, Lightning Thief had the added, um, the added sword fighting. Mm -hmm. um, a lot of intense. fighting. Yeah. And so um, sword fighting while um, singing is its own thing. And, you know, having to sort of figure that out. I want to change a little bit because mm -hmm. I love, I love like picking your brain about the, these shows. But I want to dive a little bit into voice and musical theater. Sure. Uh, because that's what you've been working on in, in sustainability and health of the the, the performer's voice. Um, my first and other question is, why does musical theater has a specific type of vocal sound or, or like vocal requirement from performers? What are your thoughts on that? Well, what do you mean a specific type of vocal sound? What does that mean to you? Because 
I mean, de- depending on the show, of course, um, you know that a performer is required to sing a little bit like Disney-like. It's like this princessy or prince voice. Um, or, for example, for shows like Sweeney Todd or Les Mis, uh, you need more like an operatic training. But for contemporary musical theater, uh, voices need to have like a specific sound, and that goes towards belting. Yeah, I mean, I I would push back on that a little bit and say that um, that musical theater in 2021 has no specific sound, right? And so what I mean by that is we have a multitude of genres of music that exist on Broadway mm-hmm. and not just on Broadway, but just in musical theater in general, because musical theater is, is not Broadway, right? That's one place where musicals happen, but there are musicals that never make it to Broadway and they're just as valid and worthy, right? Yeah. So in musical theater, we have a multitude of ge- musical genres that exist. And so, you know, if you sing Frozen the same way you try to sing once, it will not work because those are very, very different sounds, right? Waitress and Hades town are not asking for the same vocal style. Right. So I would push back on that a little bit and say, I don't think we have a specific type of sound. In fact, I think that when it comes to training musical theater performers, the name of the game is really flexibility it's about being able to sing Sweeney Todd mm-hmm. and then also sing Lightning Thief, right? I mean, think about Chris Carroll. He did yeah. Les Mis on Broadway yeah. and then he played Percy Jackson, right? Yeah. And so it's like, that is a musical theater singer is having, is having the ability to really change, change their style and their function. But here's what I will say is that um, in musical theater, in musicals, right? The songs exist to serve the story. They are there because they further the plot or they reveal character. And so it is of the utmost importance that the audience understands what people are saying in a song, right? The lyrics must be delivered in a mm-hmm. manner um, that is very clear because the impo- um, the text is incredibly important. And so that is sometimes what people pick out as being a musical theater sound mm-hmm. because the, because the um, articulation is very clear because if you can't hear what, if you don't understand what I'm saying, you are going to lose plot. Mm -hmm. Whereas if I'm recording a song for the radio, the it's less about what I'm saying and more about how I'm saying it. It's more about Mm -hmm. expressing emotions and ideas. Um, And the text is there to help, but it is not about clarity of text, which is why you get people that might breathe in the middle of a phrase, breathe in the middle of a word, you know, sort of, um, you know, mispronounce words on purpose, Mm -hmm. um, drop ends of phrases, have sloppy articulation because you're going to get the vibe of the song, whether you understand the lyrics or not. But that doesn't work in musical theater. We have to understand what you're saying because otherwise we'll be confused. We'll be like, yeah. why are they doing that thing now? <laughs> yeah. Right? You know what I mean? And, you know, because it's like songs are, are moments of decision-making and plot moving and character development. And, and we have to know what you're saying. Mm-hmm. So that is sometimes the thing that people pick up on as making it sound musical theater as opposed to sounding like a rock singer. Yeah. Because, yeah, we have to understand you. 
you know, if not, we're, 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 we're losing, we're losing the point, you know? Yeah. Yeah. What are your, in, in, in your job working with performers, what can be the top three or four tips, hacks, and tricks to maintain a healthy voice? Yeah. Um, I think the first, the first thing I'll say is that training is really helpful. Um, and that can mean a lot of different things, right? Training does not mean you have an hour long voice lesson once a week with a voice teacher. It can look mm -hmm. like that, um, you know, but it can take other shapes too. You know, we learn a lot by listening. We learn a lot by talking to people. Um, so there's just a lot of ways that, that we can have training and guidance, right? Um, but I think it's really helpful. Having an extra set of eyes and ears that are listening to you and helping you very specifically figure out how to use and control your voice, um, that's invaluable and is something that um, cannot be underestimated, right? You know, um, you know, singing, singing to stuff on YouTube can sometimes be great, but it's often not. And that's not because the person delivering the video on YouTube you know, isn't a good teacher, but it's because it's really so individualized, mm -hmm. right? That, that, you know, you might need something really specific that might be really different from another person. And so without being with somebody one-on-one, -on -one, it's really hard to know exactly what you need. Yeah. Um, and then I would say, you know, um, the idea of like a healthy voice or like a very efficient, sustainable voice. Um, I think that variety and what and how you sing is really valuable. Um, this idea of sort of like cross training, it doesn't mean you necessarily have to like go and sing other genres of music. It doesn't matter, but, but you know, that, that, that is not necessarily required, but the ability to stretch your voice in different directions, um, particularly when you're doing a show, when you're doing a show and you're sort of doing one thing in the show, like let's take lightning thief again, for an example, lots of belting, everyone's mm -hmm. belting. Yeah. It's just lots of belting. Everybody, every human is belting. And so like, <laughs> you know, being able to stretch your voice, work in a light mechanism, right. And, and, and find, find that even if it's just in exercises but but having that variety really helps it keeps you a little more balanced in your mm -hmm. voice which just helps with sustainability and effort levels and fatigue um, and then I think knowing your limits is really important you have to know when to stop when do you stop singing <laughs> everyone needs to know when that is because that limit is different for everybody and um If people get themselves into trouble when they don't stop when they should. So knowing when to shut down and then things like hydrating, resting your voice when you need to, taking care of yourself when you're sick so you can get back up on your feet. All of those things um, are really, really valuable. I could talk forever about ways to keep your voice healthy, but that's those are the things that kind of come to mind, right? Training, variety in what you sing, knowing your limits, and then hydrating and resting. Okay, nice. I like it. I like it. Um, you you just like pinpointed one of the most problematic things for me regarding voice, and it's belting, because everyone wants to belt, uh, and like in a female performer, I can identify when that performer is belting, um, and this is my case. I've had a lot of trouble with belting, um, and 
probably is be because of training. I've I've had haven't had the proper training for belting, um, but how can you do it without harming your, your voice? Because it can be like screaming, but we all know how sore a throat can end after screaming. Yeah. Well, I mean, I'll start by saying that any singing that is inefficient is not what you want. Any singing that is inefficient and out of balance can be harmful in some mm -hmm. capacity. I don't know that I really like the word harm, harmful, but like any singing, right? And so this is not a belt specific thing. You can sing classical music and have an injury because mm -hmm. you were, if you were doing it inefficiently, or if you just hit that point um, of like fatigue where an injury happens, right? Because so much of the time injuries are not about technique, but injuries are simply about um, just the demands put on the voice and it just happens. So um, any, any, you can get, you can injure your voice anytime, right? So Belting is is not is no different. Mm -hmm. Okay, so I'll start by saying that. Um, I think that the reason people like belting is that it's empowering. It's cathartic. It makes people feel strong and in control. It's a big sound. It's a full sound. It feels very grounded and present. Um, it usually, when people are belting in a song, it's the most dramatic and the most emotional moment of the song. And that is something we're really drawn to as humans, right? We're drawn to the drama and the emotion and the, cathar the cathartic feeling of like, feeling it out. Right. And so I think that's why people are drawn to it. And I think that's why it is such an effective storytelling tool because it really does help convey a lot, right. With the belt. So, um, all human beings belt. This is, it's not a, a gendered phenomenon. And it's not a superpower. <laughs> no, everyone does it and everyone, everyone can learn how to do it. Yeah. You know, um, I think that you, you said something that's really important and that was that you haven't had a lot of training on your belt. Um, and it's really important that um, when you are taking voice lessons and when you are looking for a voice teacher, this goes for anybody, not just you. Um, it's really important that you find somebody who, um, who teaches the styles you want to sing because you know there is no blanket vocal technique that makes you able mm -hmm. to sing everything right and so if you are working with some with a teacher who maybe doesn't have the skill set for belting you're not going to get what you need um you know luckily these days the internet has made everything <laughs> wide open and so you can find teachers yeah. now and work with them online and they might be located somewhere different um but it but it gives you the opportunity to find what you need right because if you want to sing at the met you should not be with a rock voice teacher absolutely you know what I mean? <laughs> like it just wouldn't make any sense yeah. so why if you want to sing in a rock band why do you have a classical voice teacher mm -hmm. So, so this idea that, you know, you have to do one thing before you can do another, I don't buy into that because it just hasn't been my experience. So, um, so that's what I'll say about that. Um, I don't know. Did I answer all your questions about belting? Did that answer? Yeah. I don't know that I really did. I mean, I think <laughs> that the extra set of eyes and ears is so invaluable yeah. because you really have to have somebody guiding you because anytime we're doing something that feels new, mm -hmm. <laughs> Right. Like, ooh, I don't know what I'm doing. <laughs> I don't know how to do this. This is a new thing for me. 
that it's it's scary and it's horrifying if you're on your own because you don't have anyone going yes that's right or no that's not right you need somebody who is is reassuring you that what you're doing is is helpful and um is yeah it's helpful is appropriate is building your building your skill set uh, the other thing i'll say about belting is that sometimes um because it is a little bit more of an extended vocalism right meaning mm -hmm. it is like event it's dramatic, it's big, it's full, right? In the same way that like singing high notes, like singing a big high note in any, you know, form or fashion is, right? Uh, those things um, are a little bit more um, high octane, <laughs> high pressure. And those are the things that can make it feel out of control in the beginning and fatiguing and tiring. And that's just part of the process. It's like deciding you want to run, like being like, I want to become a runner, <laughs> right? And you like go for like a two mile run, you know, and you've never run before. You will be utterly exhausted. Yeah. You'll be like, oh my God, <laughs> I'm dying. Am I dying? But then eventually, you, you know, you can run three miles and then four and then five, you know what I mean? And then eventually you get there, right? Because you build your stamina up. And so learning how to belt is, is really similar. We have to build our stamina up. And so having a, a teacher, an extra set of eyes and ears in the room going, do this much, <laughs> Only this much, mm -hmm. right? Just a little. Um, and then, you know, the next week going, okay, now you can do a little more, <laughs> right? That is really, really helpful because otherwise it can just kind of feel like you're in a dark room, right? Like throwing darts, hoping yeah. you hit a dark part. Yeah. <laughs> um, and that, that's never, that's never a good feeling for people to be like, I don't know what I'm, I don't know what I'm aiming for. I'm just kind of throwing darts in the dark, hoping that like, <laughs> you know, it hits a, hits a dartboard somewhere. Yeah. Um, and so that voice teacher kind of turns the light on for you and goes, there's the dartboard. Can you see it? Let's, po let's point you towards it. And now aim, you might still miss, but like you might, you have a better chance of getting the dart on the dartboard when you are in a lit room and you can see it. Yeah, absolutely. Amanda, before we go, your top five favorite musical theater shows. Oh my God. <laughs> and I guess you have posters on your wall because that's the first thing you did. <laughs> um, okay, my favorite musicals. Well, I have to say number one favorite musical is The Lightning Thief. Of course, yes. <laughs> um, because I'd like to stay married. Um, <laughs> just kidding. Rob would be like, why did you say Lightning Thief was your favorite musical? That was dumb. No, Lightning Thief is my favorite musical. I truly love it. Um, it really is like something, it just brings me a lot of joy. Um, and so um, I guess I would say be more chill in a second. I'm doing, I'm so bad at this. I can't put them in order. Um, what else? Right. You know, I did, I did a podcast for someone else and they asked me the same thing. Like, what's your favorite musical of all time? And I was like, <laughs> I don't know. That's why I say uh, five. You have choices. <laughs> yeah, five. Give me a choice. Um, oh, A Strange Loop. Mm -hmm. You know, I love Oklahoma. I'm going to throw it back to the, to the like, you know, golden age. Yeah. Um, I really do love Oklahoma. Um, okay, that's one more, right? Because I said Lightning Thief, Be More Chill, Strange Loop, Oklahoma. You go to one. I get one more. Oh, my God. What's it going to be? What's going to happen is I'm going to leave here and I'm going to have a whole list. I'm going to be like, whoa, I forgot. I can't believe I didn't say this. You can cats. email me. Just kidding. Not cats. <laughs> <laughs> cats. Um, just no, it's not cats. I, that's not right. Um, what would I say? Wow. What would be the fifth one on my top five list here? 
Oh, I have one. Okay. Go. <laughs> uh, I'm, it's just going to be really random. But I'm going to say Big River. And it's really? because I love the music in okay. that show. Okay. Yeah. Valid. I like it. And it's like a guilty pleasure. I don't know. It shouldn't be a guilty pleasure. No musicals are guilty pleasures. You know, it's like you like what you like. Yeah. Um, I don't know. I don't know. Is that, should that be in my top five? I couldn't tell you. It's just when I was, because I was just thinking, what are shows that like, I'd be like, I also really like Jesus Christ Superstar. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I'm thinking of like, I'm thinking of like, what are the musicals that I would drive around in my car in mm-hmm. high school and in college and like bla- blast? Yeah. And like sing all of the all of the songs. Oh, ragtime! I love ragtime. Oh my gosh! I'm giving you my top ten. I love it. Um, <laughs> love ragtime. Love a Sunset Boulevard. <laughs> Can you tell I'm a '90s '90s musical theater girl? Yeah. Um, you know, we we always love the stuff that you come of age with. You know, the stuff that you like find. You know. Mm-hmm. Musical theater. I don't know. I've given you a bunch. I couldn't tell you if that's actually how I feel. Those are just things I think of. <laughs> I love it. I love Those it. Those are just the ones that came to mind. <laughs> <laughs> Amanda, where can listeners get a hold of you or book a session, a class, a workshop? I know you have a, a, a course coming up about um, vocal and, yeah, vocal yeah. physiology, is it? Um, yeah, well, I I teach a bunch of classes. So I teach vocal pedagogy classes. So um, every summer I teach a couple rounds of a class that I call Vocal Pedagogy Foundations. Um, and it is for voice teachers. It's seven weeks. Um, we talk about anatomy and physiology, acoustics and resonance. We talk about vocal health. We talk about biomechanics, like how mm-hmm. the voice actually works. And then we talk about like assigning repertoire, designing vocal exercises. Um, and it's um, it's a really fun class. And you're right. I do have one more section of it that starts later this month. I don't know when this is airing, but it's June right now. So um, <laughs> later, later this month. Um, and it's, it's great. I, I love to do it. We do it online and it's, it's just really, really fun. So I do that. And then I'm mean, sometimes I teach classes for performers too, but that all pops up on my website, which is where you can find me, which is amandaflynnvoice.com. You can reach out there to book a session with myself or with my associate teacher. I have an associate teacher. So, um, and then you can find me on social media and social media. I'm at, at Amanda Flinney, F-L-Y-N-N-I-E, um, Instagram, Twitter, or TikTok. I, I love occasional, it. Occasional TikTok video. <laughs> <laughs> I love it, Amanda. Thank you so much. This has been a wonderful, wonderful episode. Um, and I really want to book class with you, so I'm straight <gasps> going straight to your website after this episode. <laughs> yeah, I can't wait. Um, thank you for having me. Um, it's been an honor. It's been a joy talking to you and I, I appreciate being here. No, thank you for coming over. Take care. Bye. Thanks everyone for listening to this new episode of Backstage Talk. Remember to follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Backstage Talk Podcast. Hi y'all, this is Kristen Chenoweth. Hi, I'm Gloria Stefan. This is Sarah Bareilles. Hi, I'm Patty Lapone. This is Lynn Manuel Miranda. You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. 
More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.